athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the program. I am your host, Donald Ware. Trayvon Walker out of Georgia goes number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the National Football League draft, which is still going on. I want to hear from our listeners on XL1010 in Jacksonville. What do you think about this draft pick? And I think the Jaguars really have some upside. I, I really really do and we'll see ultimately I mean this can't this pick can't do anything but help the Jaguars. Wanna hear from my Carolina Panthers fans who listen to us on radio stations throughout the Carolinas. What do you think about the Panthers to our listeners in Washington, the Washington area and the Baltimore area for that matter who listen to us on WHUR. How do you think the commanders and the Ravens ultimately did in this year's, or to this point, I should say, in the National Football League draft. To our listeners in Pittsburgh, WGBN, what do you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they've done in the draft? To our listeners on Radio Free Nashville in Nashville, Tennessee, want to know your thoughts on what the Tennessee Titans have done as well. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and those that listen to us on WURK in Tampa, your thoughts on the Buccaneers and the Buccaneers draft to this point. And ultimately, to our listeners in Kansas City, our listeners in Kansas City who listen to us on KCPZ. Want to know your thoughts on the Chief we, Chiefs. We know the Chiefs. Uh, we're able to get multiple first-round picks, made a big move by by trading Tyreek Hill. Listen, we're going to talk some NBA on the program today. Also joining us today on the program, the legendary broadcaster Charlie Neal. Charlie Neal also going to join us on the program. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Let me know your thoughts on how your team did in the hour has done to this point because we still have some rounds remaining, but how your team has fared to this point so far in the National Football League draft. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We are joined by a gentleman, as a matter of fact, a legend. He is in the Black College Football Hall of Fame, the CIAA Hall of Fame, and the MEAC Hall of Fame. He is the voice of of HBCU Sports, but he's done so much more in his career. We're going to talk a little bit more 
about that. He's the one and only Charlie Neal joins us here on Box to Row. Charlie, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much. Always a pleasure being with you, Donald. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you what, I had an absolute blast working with you at the uh, HBCU All-Star Game uh, in New Orleans. We had a, you know, certainly a, a, a great time there. See, I, I, I introed you as the voice of HBCU Sports. You've been doing this a long time, and you're still doing it. You do all of it, tennis, track and field, baseball, softball. You, you've been doing this for many, many years and still enjoy doing it. I do. I really do get uh, enjoy doing it. In fact, I, this whole I haven't had a break since uh, since football season started. And you know, you think, well, basketball's over, so you know, maybe I can take it easy and and join some of those teams that lost in the NBA playoffs in Cancun. <laughs> but but <laughs> it hasn't been that way. Uh, I've got uh, last well, I've done bowling last week. I did softball. I've got tennis this weekend. Next weekend, I've got outdoor track and field. And the following weekend, I've got uh, outdoor track and field again. Uh, one is a Division two, and the other one's Division one championships. And then uh, baseball right after that. So it's – but I'm not mad. I'm, I'm happy. I'm glad. And uh, it's – you know, to be able to do it as long as I have been able to do it, and then people still call me and, and want me to be a part of what they're doing, it makes me feel good that – at least I'm, I'm still, I still have something to contribute, apparently. And that, that makes me feel good, yeah. <laughs> no question about it. I mean, you started with HBCU Sports in 1980 with BET. And, I mean, before that, I mean, you were doing a whole lot. And, you know, b- b- being able to spend some time with you, I know we've had some interaction w- with me on the media relations side and you doing what you do, but not the interaction that we had uh, a couple of weeks ago. I learned so much. Before I even talk about all of the things you did before BET came along uh, in in 1980 for you at HBCU Sports, how have you seen the landscape of black college sports change in all of those years? Well, it, it changed tremendously. In, it went up and we came back down and it's going back up again. Uh, one of the things, uh, and we talk about BET, uh, first of all, the, the you have to remember that HBCUs back in the 60s, 70s were very popular in terms of uh, athletes moving on to the next level. And that's because those athletes, the the Willie Lanier's of the world, the Lem Barney's of the, uh, they, they couldn't go to Ole Miss and they couldn't go to Alabama. They couldn't go to Texas and a lot of those schools. So uh, a lot of those, uh, I said quality and, and top-notch athletes that went on to play at the next level came from historically black colleges and universities, and that was long before integration. And so when integration started, Alabama started bringing in black athletes, and Ole Miss and Texas and the schools in the South and Southeast started bringing in uh, African-American athletes, then the landscape in terms of the, uh, qual- oh, I don't want to say the quality, but the, the top-notch players were not at those HBCUs. Yes, there were still some there, but it wasn't like you, when you looked at Grambling and how many people they sent to the pros or Jackson State sent to the pros or Southern University sent to the pros. Uh, basically, they all came out of that era of the 60s and 70s. You know, 
And so when integration came about, when those African-American athletes could still could go to the PWIs, then some of that shiny uh, armor was taken away from the HBCUs. But what has happened recently, and I I give Deion Sanders a lot of credit for some of this, uh, is young people are starting to understand and and I've been preaching this all along, but you know it's one thing to 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 say it, but for for them to witness it and for it to happen to them, then they understand that if you are good enough as an athlete, they will find you. You know you don't have to be. You could be at uh, Saint uh, 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 Xavier University at NAIA school. If you can play, they know about you. You know, and that's the that's been my my uh, um, platform that I've been preaching to young athletes all along. Uh, go where you want to go. First of all, if you go to an HBC, you're going to get a quality education. You're not going to be just a number. And we and, and I preach to coaches also. I said, you know, develop a, a rapport with an athlete. If you really want that kid, don't just say because, well, I know I don't have a chance to get him because he's a blue chip and he's uh, all this and all that, and McDonald's All-American and all this stuff. Okay, so he is, but he may get to wherever he's going, whether it be Notre Dame or Southern Cal or Wisconsin or Illinois or Michigan or Maryland, and things are just not working out for him because you got to remember those schools, when they recruit, you know, there's eight kids coming in playing that position you're playing that were McDonald's All-Americans <laughs> in, in, or All-State or All-City, wherever they came from. So the competition is even stiffer when you go to those schools. So when things don't work out, if that coach has a rapport with that young man or young lady, they can those those kids may reach out to them and say, "Hey, look, especially the way this transfer portal is going now, it's gone off the hooks. It's really out of control." Right. But again, we're seeing that these kids are coming to HBCUs from other schools, uh, from the PWIs, from the major. The, the major five, the top five uh, schools, conferences, the Southeast Conference and the Big Ten and the Big East and the, uh, the you know, the ACC and, and the Pac-12 and, you know, the Big 12. They're, they're coming into these HBCUs uh, because there's been a relationship. So we're seeing that surge come back up. The NFL draft is being held. So it's going to be interesting to see based on a number of things that's happened when no players from HBCUs, no kids from HBCUs were drafted last year to see what, how that transforms and how that's going to, to uh, move the needle in another direction because there are a lot of kids that their names are out there. They may not be the first round draft choice or second, but they're going to get drafted. And before they knew these kids were there, they knew they could play. But, you know, if you don't draft them, you don't have to pay them as much. Right. You know, if you sign as a free agent, you can come in and, you know, you're just happy that you get an opportunity to play. So you're going you're gonna to take whatever they give you, you know? Yeah. But as a drafted player, you, you're, you're guaranteed to make at least X amount of dollars. So it's going to be interesting to, to keep an eye on the NFL draft and see what happens with kids from HBCUs. Definitely interested to see that. That is the unmistakable voice of the one and only Charlie Neal, who joins us here on Box to Row. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back, 
talk more with Charlie Neal. You've got it locked to Box to Row. BoxToRow.com is your source for conversations with and content on some of the biggest names in sports, HBCU sports, and entertainment. BoxToRow.com. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get the Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 888-789-5043. 888-789-5043 Attention, those of you looking to go on a fun vacation and see the world on the cheap. Today, the U.S. dollar is worth even more in other countries, so there's never been a better time to travel outside the USA. The dollar is worth over $1.30 in Canadian dollars, and it's the same for Australia. You can fly there today and have fun and maximize your travel dollar. Your U.S. dollar is worth over $3 in Brazilian reals, and it's worth over $18 in Mexican pesos. Plus, in Argentina, it's worth over $27 in Argentine pesos. Just think of the bargains you'll get. And the way you get the cheapest airfare to any destination is by calling Tickets That Cheap. Save up to 75% on your foreign vacation tickets. Don't wait. Call now. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. That's 802-317-1987. The others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. With the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. We're back here on Boxer Row. We're talking with Charlie Neal here on the program. Of course, the one and only unmistakable voice of HBCU Sports, Black College Football Hall of Fame, CIAA Hall of Fame, MIAC Hall of Fame, many other halls of fame. 
again, in, in talking with you, and it's just a lot of stuff I didn't know. So take us through how you even got into as, as you know, as succinct as, as, as you can, because we got a lot to get to in terms of how you even got into broadcasting. You were one of the first black play-by-play men when you're talking about NFL, NBA, and major college football. Yeah, I I was very fortunate. I was in, I guess, in the right place at the right time. Uh, the, the whole my whole career in television basically started in Washington D.C. at the NBC station, and uh, at the time, uh, this was back in 1970. They were specifically looking for an African American to join their sports team. Jim Simpson, Dan Daniels, and Morris Siegel were the big names in sports in Washington D.C. at that time, and Jim Simpson was big at, at NBC. He was the uh, uh, the uh, Brian Gumble of NBC at the time, uh, back in the 70s. So uh, they were looking for an African-American and they had a tryout. Myself, Kurt Flood, the baseball uh, player, and and uh, God, I don't know why I'm having a problem with his name. Ron Pinckney. Mm-hmm. Ron Pinckney, was, we were the three that, that, uh, that auditioned for the job. Fortunately, I got it. And uh, that's how my TV career took off. I was doing sports locally in Washington, D.C. I was the weekend sports anchor at, at the NBC station, which is an owned and operated station in Washington. I went from there to Philadelphia to Channel 6, which is an ABC station there, and then from there to Detroit to CBS, and then from there to New York. So I was very fortunate because most people, when you start out in this business, you start out in Lexington, Kentucky, in Auburn, Alabama. I mean, <laughs> with Dowie, Alabama you know, Podunk, Mississippi, you know, and then you work your way up to, to the, the different markets. But to start out in a major market like Washington, D.C., work in a major market like Philadelphia, a major market like Detroit, and a major market, the number one market in the country, New York City. Uh, I was very fortunate. And then during that time, uh, BET was brought into uh, fruition uh, by Bob Johnson. And we had a meeting, and he told me that he was interested in putting together uh, a black network which would feature uh, black college sports and asked me if I would be interested. I didn't know Bob, and he didn't know me, really. Someone gave him my name, and we met, and uh, I, I believed in what he wanted to do because the only time you saw any black colleges being featured was maybe once or twice a year ABC might do a game and they would pick up maybe something with Grambling because Eddie Robinson was big, like Dion is now today. Eddie Robinson was that that person that that garnered a lot of attention uh, back in the in the in those days. And so you would see maybe one one game a year, maybe two. So Bob Johnson changed that whole landscape by putting together BET and then us doing a game a week. And we did that. I did that for 23 years with him. You know, not only football, we did baseball. I mean, I'm sorry, correction. Uh, We did basketball, and we did a lot of uh, features. We did the UNCF golf tournament. Uh, We did, uh, we covered the All-Star game uh, at the NBA, All-Star games. We covered um, the World Series of Baseball, Super Bowls. You know, we were a presence at all of these events uh, of magnitude. You know, that's when I first met Dion. He's between baseball and football. And we became pretty good friends back then because he had, had decided he was not going to talk to any 
uh, media because somebody misquoted him or something he didn't like. And he got into an altercation with one of the sportscasters, uh, and he just was not talk. And he would talk to me. You know, he'd come out to batting practice, and you know, everybody would be standing around. This was during the World Series. We're up in Toronto, and uh, he didn't want to. He wouldn't talk to any reporters. And he saw me. He said, "Hey, you want to interview me?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Come on." <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> it was one of those type things you know so you, I've developed a, a, a good relationship with athletes over the years and uh, I, I mean I Shaq when he was at LSU I remember him and, and interviewing his dad at the NBA All-Star game you know so I, I've been very fortunate to be in a lot of places when things were happening I did the first ever Goodwill Games that was in Moscow in 1986 you know that was after the the United States had boycotted the Olympics, uh, and we went to Russia. Ted Turner and I went over there, did gymnastics and track and field, basketball. I mean, it was it was great. So, man, no question about it. The one and only Charlie Neal joins us here on the program. And then before there was Ernie Johnson, with respect to the NBA, there was Charlie Neal. Yeah, I, I did the. Uh, I did the NBA show. We used to do Tuesday, Fridays. Every Tuesday and Friday, TNT. Well, back then it wasn't TNT. It was CBS. And uh, I did the the pregame halftime show. And I also did some NBA games play-by-play. Uh, that started in 1985, I believe it was, with me, uh, with them. And uh, like I said, it, it was it was enjoyable. I did that show uh, every every Tuesday and Friday from Atlanta, and then I did a Sunday night show with Nick Charles called the Core Sports Page. So I was back in, and I was still living in the Washington D.C. area. So I was on a plane, you know, almost every day of the week going somewhere because on, then on the weekends I would do a game for BT. And it got so bad when I wake up not knowing where you, what city you'd wake up and try to figure out where I'm supposed to go today. What what am I supposed to do? But when it really got bad was when you wake up at home and try to call room service. So that was. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but uh, it, it's all good. It's enjoyable. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I'm very, like I said, I've been very fortunate. If I don't live another day, another minute. Uh, I've been able to experience some things and do some things some people can't even dream of. No question about it. The one and only Charlie Neal joins us here on the program. I, it, it's interesting because in talking with you, like you, you, you know, when you were in Detroit, you were doing, um, you know, a major college basketball. I remember you talked about doing a game with Dick Vitale. You were doing Lions <laughs> games. You did the NBA. You were still doing BET. So you were doing what you wanted to do. No question. I mean, by the way, before – the uh, they they should call you the original fly jock by the way uh with all yeah right like you were all over the place doing a bunch of different stuff doing what you love to do do you feel as though um you were there some other things maybe that you wanted to do do you feel like you've gotten the true credit that you in fact deserve as a pioneer as a pioneer broadcaster you, you know i I don't, I, I've never been one who looked for attention I've, and worried about what other people thought about what I should get, what I shouldn't get, or, you know, or should I, yeah, you always think, well, I, I would love to be the guy who does a Super Bowl. It didn't happen. Okay. But it, it's no big thing. 
Because, like I said, I've done. You can only. There's only so many people who broadcast Super Bowl. <laughs> it's only so many people that can do certain things. So I'm not upset that it doesn't happen. Sometimes you do get pigeonholed. When I came along with ESPN, they basically brought me in because that was when ESPNU started uh, began in 2005, and they basically were focusing on historically black colleges and universities because BET had stopped doing sports at that time. And they brought me in, and a lot of times when you see things, it says, you know, as the voice of HBCUs and stuff like that. But I didn't just do black college games for ESPN. I did uh, Southeastern Missouri State. I did Kent State. I did University of Buffalo. You know, I did University of Akron. I mean, I did other games for them. Uh, I did Utah in basketball. I mean, I, you know, so I, you know, I was not in a position where they did not allow me to do other things. My primary focus was because of my association with HBCUs. They felt that it was very important for that association to continue. And that was why a lot of times most of the stuff that I did was with HBCUs. But I'm, but I'm grateful. You know, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity. I'm grateful that I had the ability. And I'm grateful that somebody thought enough of me to say, hey, we need to bring him on to do this. Man, very well said. The one and only Charlie Neal joining us here on Box to Row. Quick, real quick, Charlie, where can we check you out? I know you're still obviously broadcasting games. Well, between, between HBCU Go and ESPNU and ESPN Plus and <laughs> – there's a bunch of different groups doing things like uh, I'm doing CIAA uh, tennis championships this weekend. That's going to be in Petersburg, Virginia. Then I'm headed to, I got the CIAA outdoor track and field championships next week. And then the following week, I've got the MEAC track, outdoor track and field championships. And after that, I've got the MEAC baseball championships. So, and <laughs> So, yeah, my, my plate's a little full. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, and, and, and yeah. if you ask me, if you ask me when, what channel it's on, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I just, you know, I just show up, I do my thing, and the producers, they do it. They, they, they have all that information, you know? Right. They have all that information, and the, and, the, and the conferences have that information. I don't even know. <laughs> I, all I know is they're going to pay <laughs> they get me there, you know. What I'm so, right. uh, I and like I don't worry about it, you know. I know that, uh, and what I try to do is go in and give the student athletes uh, the best I can do in terms of bringing recognition to them. You know, I saw Jerry Rice in his infancy. I saw a lot of these players when they were, you know, uh, the, the uh, Charles Oakleys and those people, Ben Wallace's when they, you know. So I've I've seen these people when they were coming up and coming, yeah. So I, I've been very fortunate and to be able to rub elbows with these guys. Fifty plus years in the broadcast business, still going strong. He's the one and only Charlie Neal joins us here on Box to Row. Charlie, we could do this all day. I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate a lot of the history lessons that you gave me in our about, what, 36 hours uh, in New Orleans that we spent together. Man, we look forward to talking with you real soon. Anytime, Donald. Anytime. I appreciate you calling.
I'm telling you, the time in New Orleans with Charlie and just some of the stories that he told, I, I didn't know, again, I didn't know, it was just a lot in terms of his really beginnings that I didn't know and was glad uh, to have had him on the program. Let's switch gears. Let's talk some NBA with Mike Wallace of Grind City Media. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. That's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I would say representation is it's not a requirement. Plus it's a requirement and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion but it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion just by us standing in the ring we are representation for women and for black women and so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all and and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. <laughs> you can get to it. Man, you know what? You're encouraging people to be better and do better, and, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business, and Sam, you had the illustrious school of business, Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, a uh, black college, something that my city had never seen before, may never see again, and just having a up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melogs. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Winston-Salem State, I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of 
just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were, we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoker, first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. You know, football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's From the Press Box to Press Row, real, relevant, radio. All right, as mentioned, let's talk some NBA and specifically NBA playoffs here on the program. Mike Wallace is the senior editor of Grind City Media. Not only knows the Grizzlies, but knows all things NBA. has been covering the NBA for nearly 20 years, if not more, as he joins us here on the program. What's going on, Mike? Hey, man, I don't know if I appreciate that, if not more, part of the 20 years, man. You know what I'm saying? Don't age us like that, brother. Don't age us like that. But, no, it's going great, man. It's going great. It's the exciting time of the year. Um, so many things, different things going on from the NFL draft to NBA playoffs to baseball starting back up. And, you know, there's always a lot to uh, to catch up with, man. So I'm glad I'm back with you. No, I appreciate it, man. I mean, I, I respect the Minnesota Timberwolves. But to me, I mean, I would liken it in a respect – to the Knicks last year, uh, great story, but not. I mean, but 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 a solid team, right? Like they 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 definitely came on uh, a little bit late. I think I think when you look at the Knicks last year, I mean, I just think the New York market wanted the Knicks to do well, and they they were okay. And you can see what happened mm-hmm. this year. But but why is it that the Grizzlies have struggled uh, or struggled so much with the Timberwolves? Well, I, I think number one, you know, you got to look in the mirror uh, if you're the Grizzlies and you say, okay, look, we are young. You know what I mean? We haven't really accomplished anything as a team yet other than a spectacular regular season. Um, but the playoffs are different. And, and I think every series that you look across the board, you, you see some of that. You know, the playoffs are certainly different. You can you can get through the regular season okay um, and, and, and really understand who you are once the uh, postseason begins. And you know, the Grizzlies have done it the right way. And you got to respect your opponent. You got to respect the game. You got to respect that the game is going to be officiated differently. Um, and, and you also got to respect that, listen, one team now is doing its homework on you every single night. So the things that you, the, the A, B, and C selection of your menu, 
uh, might not be available to you on a night-to-night basis. So you got to make sure you have your depth right. You got to make sure you have your health in a good situation. And uh, it's got to be, you know, your secondary players in your bench uh, have to be ready to step up and produce. And I think the Grizzlies are learning that. Second youngest team in the league had the second best record in the league during the regular season. And now you're running up against the Minnesota Timberwolves team, as you talked about in this first round. Plenty of talent. You know, when you talk about talent alone, you know, you, there, there's not a, a – Carl Anthony Towns isn't going to take a backseat to many other players in the league when it comes to talent. Um, Anthony Edwards is one of the best young players we have in this league, and I think this was sort of his coming out party. And uh, beyond that, you have some role players who understand who they are. Now, the difference is I don't think the Timberwolves are as connected as they need to be and, and as mature professionally as they need to be uh, because they don't they don't tend to hold on to prosperity pretty well. You know what I mean? They prefer adversity and losing leads and stuff like that. But having said all that, um, you know, this Grizzlies-Timberwolves series uh, has going into the weekend was the last series of standing in the first round. And um, it's still unfinished business at that point. So everything else has been resolved and ready for the second round. But this one is still a knockdown drag out as it was going into the weekend. I, I, I'm chuckling because I, I believe you said the Timberwolves prefer losing leads. I believe that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's that's. I, they 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 prefer. Some people prefer uh, prosperity. Right. Some teams prefer adversity. And uh, the Timberwolves are juggling that man. They've been a juggling act with both. And it's, it's been it's been remarkable to see this series play out because how it's played to the extremes uh, every single game. Yeah, no doubt. John Morant, your th- I mean, he had you, you go back. Um, to the game on Wednesday, and they had the the big dunk. I mean, I I, I think some are saying with well, that energized sort of, and, and it may have. I, but but the Timberwolves still had gone up by like 12, 13 points even after uh, that dunk. But he came on late, hit the big win, game winning shot. What do you make of John Moran? He, he hasn't necessarily had a, you know, didn't necessarily have a great series. You know what's what's amazing about that is when you start being judged and, 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 because the the eye test tells us. No, this hasn't been a great series, or you know, for John ja Morant. But but then when you look back at the numbers, I mean, he had the only play, he had the only triple double in the playoffs, right, in the first round, right. So and that was in in, in one of the games. Then he came back the game after that and had uh, a career high playoff, fifteen assists, which broke a, a Grizzlies franchise record for a single game assist. And then after that, he had thirty <laughs> thirty thirteen and eight, or thirty thirteen and nine. Um, Including including one of the top five dunks of all time in the playoffs, plus the game winner. So he's he's done over the last three games or so, three or four games. I mean he's, you know he's he's played to a, a level that was still rise to superstar production. It just didn't feel like it because of the way the games was played. So we're judging him at a different curve now. We're judging him by a different standard. And for you to be 22 years old and held to that high regard. He's he's firmly in that discussion with the Luka Doncic's and you know the Jason Tatum's and, and and those guys who are expected to do great things for their teams despite being so young. So, hey, Ja will take it. He knows he's not a hundred percent, but no one is in the playoffs. Um, and, and you know, I think what what was impressive about the game you're talking about, which was Game Five, was that he 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 didn't let his he, he didn't do a lot of extra demonstrative trash talking. Uh, he didn't do much of anything that, you know, in, in terms of um, showing up as the opponent or anything like that. He just went out there, and when that dunk happened, yes, they still went up by 13, but that really energized Jai and it woke him up. And then he continued to go on and score. I think he had 18 of his 30 in the fourth quarter after that dunk. So that tells you, you know, when he wants to flip that switch, 
Um, you know, it's there, but he has to continue to flip that switch. It can't be optional. It's got to be on the whole the whole way in the playoffs. Mike Wallace knows and covers all things NBA. He is the senior editor of Grind City Media. Check him out at grindcitymedia.com. He joins us here on the program. The, the Suns wrap up their series over the Pelicans, and it was a bit of a struggle. And, I mean, Devin, you know, you talk about Devin Booker. Looked like he may be out for quite some time. He comes back uh, in the game on Thursday, hit that big three down the stretch. I mean, you look at the Pelicans going toe-to-toe with Phoenix. Speak to that series, Phoenix ultimately prevailing. And Chris Paul, absolutely sensational. 14 of 14 in the closeout game. He had 33 points. That was remarkable, man. And then remember, he had another game, where uh, I think it was a 30-point game, where he shut the door on those guys in, in one of the games earlier in that series. And, you know, to see Chris Paul put that kind of game together at this stage of his career um, in the postseason. Remember, Chris Paul has always been able to get his teams uh, to this stage, but there's always been a game or two late in the series where, you know, he would either tweak something and get hurt or just not have a great game. Um, now, of course, this is a 1-8 matchup. It, it, it was much harder than it needed to be uh, for Phoenix, but I also think they needed so, sort of a wake-up call, and they lost Devin Booker early in the series, and he comes back um, and restores where he was. So, you know, for them, this this was sort of a test, and, and, and they passed it with flying colors. But I'll tell you this much, about Donald. I mean, like, you and I go back a long ways, man. And, you know, we're from the same area, and, and for me, it was one of the most remarkable things in that series for me was to see the love that, that Willie Green and, and Monty Williams shared after that series. You know what I mean? That embrace two black men, you know, who, who, who got their opportunities, and one of them, Monty's an elder statesman now among the coaches, and Willie's just getting started. But I remember when Monty was just getting started, and in New Orleans, no less, one of his first stops. And, you know, to kind of see the respect that these two teams have had for each other and, and how they pushed each other um, was, was was a great thing to see. And I love both of those coaches, man. And, you know, again, I, I, it's going to be difficult uh, if the Grizzlies continue to advance and Phoenix advance and you got one, two in the West uh, playing in the Western Conference Finals. Um, I'm going to go with who's – you know, who's, who's, who's writing their names on my check, obviously. But at the end of the day, man, it's, it's good to see Phoenix and Chris Paul and Monty Williams continue to do great things. James Jones, too, in the front office, man. The general manager is a guy I go back way, way back with uh, and when, when doing his playing days in the NBA and obviously with the Miami Heat. So I love the way Phoenix is built. I love what they're doing, and I got so much respect for those guys uh, and their professionalism. No doubt about it. We're DMVers, as is Monty Williams. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on the program. Mike, what's up with Utah, man? Like another yeah, yeah. first-round exit. You look last year. I, I can't remember if Utah struggled in that first round, but at least they got past the first round because you look at previous years. I mean, this was a mm-hmm. team that would fall in the first round. What's what's going to happen ultimately, do you think, with Quinn Snyder? Does Utah blow it up something's got to change you can't have that much talent have the regular seasons that the Jazz have and then lose in the first round to Dallas no less who didn't have Luka Doncic for a couple of games yeah yeah that one that one won't be easily explained away and and you know when I talked earlier about looking in the mirror this is going to be a difficult look uh for Utah going into this offseason because you're right they didn't struggle in the first round um they did beat the the Grizzlies 4-1 but they lost game one on their home floor 
um, in the first round, and then and then they got bounced in the second, despite having the best record in the league. They were the number one overall seed in the league last year, and couldn't get to the Western Conference Finals, let alone, you know, put themselves in position where they were a team that, you know, came back off of that and got better. No, they got worse this past year, um, and, and they made some trades and, and had to do some things differently with their supporting cast. Um, but but at the end of the day, they still had the anchors. They still had Donovan Mitchell. They still had Mike Conley running the point. Um, they had Jordan Clarkson, one of the most productive guys coming off the bench in the league. They still had Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year, stalwart year in and year out, and, and, and Bogdanovich. And they still couldn't figure out a way to beat Dallas. Dallas is one of the most improved teams over the course of the season, from the beginning of the season to the end. You look at three teams or four teams that made the drastic leaps from start to the season to the finish, and it was – you know, obviously it was, it was it was the Memphis Grizzlies that jumped all the way up to number two in the league. You know, it was uh, Dallas Mavericks who came from, you know, six, seven, eight and got all the way up to the four seed. You know, you look at them making that improvement. Minnesota Timberwolves doubled their victory total overall from last year to this year. Um, that's another team that did some big things. And obviously Boston, what they did from January to the end of the season, uh, put themselves in a different category overall. And then New Orleans, too. you got to respect after the start that they had for them to rally and get uh, uh, to the play-in and then a hard-fought series in the first round. But Utah is going in the opposite direction, and Quinn Snyder has to look at that. I think they'll look at maybe, if at the very least, making a change at the head coach. Um, but they also got to figure out, is Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, um, did they run the course? Did they run their course? And when you have teams desperate like the Lakers, the Knicks, um, so many big market teams, uh, Brooklyn, Chicago, teams that have to make something happen, um, I think Utah is going to be in a lot of discussions in terms of trades and that kind of thing to see what happens going forward. We're talking NBA and NBA playoffs specifically with Mike Wallace, who knows all things NBA, covers all things NBA. Of course, the senior editor of Grind City Media. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back. I want to ask Mike about the Celtics-Bucks matchup. I want to ask him about the Brooklyn Nets uh, looking forward. And other things as it relates to the NBA as Box to Row rolls on. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Salt Box, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. We're back here on the program. We've got Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, joining us here on the program to talk NBA. You can follow him on Twitter at my Mike Check. Uh, going back to to Phoenix, do you 
Does this now, in your opinion, put Phoenix, and I don't know, you may have thought they were, and I don't know, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts, I should ask first. I mean, who did you think would come out of the West ultimately? But does this, you know, this win and, and, and the way Phoenix was able to do it and Devin Booker coming back and he may be able to get a little bit of rest now to rest that hamstring, does this put them back as the front runner, at least in the West? Um, I think it still does. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, they're the number one seed. You know, and, and they 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 had it by seven, eight, nine games. I mean, they ran away from the rest of the league uh, to secure that number one seed. And when Chris Paul is playing this way, they're defending the way they're defending, um, and they have the closures that they need to have. It, it's it's and obviously the coaching. You know, I don't I don't think that you look at anybody in the West and say, okay, that team is better than Phoenix now. You know, one of the things that gives the Grizzlies confidence is that, you know, they didn't have they, – they were missing four of their five starters late in the regular season. Phoenix was getting healthy and fully fully stocked, and the Grizzlies ran away from the Suns in that game in Memphis. So, you know, but again, that was the regular season. Now it, it's a different mindset. But you still got to set the pecking order with Phoenix uh, as the top team coming out of the West. And the way this thing is trending right now, um, if you told me, you know, I, I had to make a pick uh, for who's going to end up in the finals, I, I would say it would be Phoenix um, going up against, um, you know, I, as much as my instincts want to say Milwaukee, there's something about Boston that I just can't overlook right now, man. It could be – it's going to be Phoenix and some team wearing green coming out of the East. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of two teams wearing green, those two teams, meaning the Bucks and the Celtics, meet in the Eastern Conference semifinals beginning on Sunday in Boston. And you look at – I mean, let's, let's look at the Celtics. I mean, I want to talk more about uh, Brooklyn, but, I mean, a sweep is a sweep, and we can talk about all the things that transpired with the Nets over the course – of the season you mentioned Jason Tatum who's playing uh, unbelievably well uh, you know all of those Brown all of those guys I, I've mm-hmm. always liked Marcus like I, Marcus Smart to me uh, has always been the heart and soul of this team going back three years ago love Marcus mm-hmm. Smart y- your thoughts uh, on the way that the Celtics are playing and maybe this to your point maybe this is the year they finally can get to the championship we've seen them get to many eastern conference finals over the last six seven eight years yeah i, I really think and no no disrespect obviously uh to miami and the miami heat and I, i'm spending 10 years down there with that team knowing that organization knowing what they bring to the table um they certainly can disrupt some things um they, they've already had the bucks number uh in the bubble a few years ago and were able to beat the bucks before the bucks came back the next year and beat miami on the way to a championship so there still is something to be said and settled in the East. But by my book, I think that that series between the Celtics and the Bucks is, is the equivalent of the Eastern Conference Finals to me. Um, I think either one of – whichever one of those teams emerge uh, will be the team that will represent the East um, in terms of, you know, the favorite for me. Um, having said that, I, you know, it's, it's – it's, Boston is playing better as an overall team, and certainly with Chris Middleton being injured, um, the Bucks doesn't have 100% health right now. But neither did the Celtics either. They just got Robert Williams back. So, you know, but but if if you if both of these teams are full strength, there's just something about Boston's defense that will not allow them to be denied this year. And with Marcus Smart being defensive player of the year, Jason Tatum being, you know, he should have been higher in the discussion for MVP, uh, if, you, if you ask me. And then everybody else on that team knowing what their roles are. Al Horford is, and, and you look at Al Horford, Daniel Tice, and Robert Williams as their front line. You don't get much better and more flexible than that. 
um, and, and athletic and, and experience and the combination of shooting and, and everything that they do. And, and, and then obviously Brown, man, um, brings it all together for them. And, you know, what they're doing with their guys in Williams coming, you know, playing the way he's playing. I mean, that's, that's just a team that has a lot of different things going for them right now. And um, that series is going to be remarkable. Giannis is the best player in the league, performing in the best way right now um, among any player. Maybe the most unstoppable player in the league, period, hands down at this point. So it's going to be interesting, man. If there was any other series I would rather be at, um, if you had to take me away from, you know, my job, with, you know, doing this with the Grizzlies, um, it would be that Buck Celtics series for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, a little bit about the Bucks. So you, you're right. I mean, obviously Chris Middleton's out. We don't know how for how long, but some other guys. I really, you know, I look at this team last year, and I thought the keys – uh, to to the Bucks winning was were the acquisitions of PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday sort of mm-hmm. last year was trying to find his way he's found his way he's really stepped yeah. up you look at Bobby Portis in the absence yeah. of a uh, of a Chris Middleton he's really stepped up I mean do you think and Grayson Allen Grayson and- Allen's another guy you know that's just come you know and, and done some big things and remarkable things for that team so yeah. Uh, Wes Matthews as well. So I mean, these 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 guys have some numbers. They have some depth. They have some some quality NBA players who've done things elsewhere or found their role uh, in Milwaukee. So no, this, it's one of those situations where Chicago didn't give them as much of a test as I thought Chicago might. But Chicago was fading down the stretch in that first round anyway of the regular series. So, I mean, regular season. But I have no question that the Bucks could do it. You know, but if there's one team that's set up to withstand and, and match up with them and provide that, you know, proverbial kryptonite, it may be Boston. So it's, it's like I said, it's, it's, that is going to be one of the series where what, what we wanted Brooklyn and, 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 and uh, Boston to be, we'll get that in Milwaukee and Boston for sure in terms of the competitiveness, um, the knockdown, drag out. It, this, that, this round will provide that uh, at more so, way more so than what we've seen in any other series uh, in the East. Couple of last thoughts with Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, as we talk some NBA two teams. Mike, I want to get your thoughts on in terms of the future. Let's start with the Nets. And mm-hmm. I mean, you you know, I mean, for the Nets to get swept is unbelievable in of itself. Probably started with Game One with that last second shot where the Nets had the lead. The series could be different if that if 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 that shot and Tatum doesn't make uh, that shot. What are the Nets, in your opinion? What are they going to do? moving forward what do they need to do to to make sure that they're competitive like they were supposed to have been the last couple of years in the east i mean do they want to be a team a team of championship destiny that's what you gotta ask. like can they go can they you know are they going to get contracts yes everybody's going to get paid you know um are they going to be willing to sacrifice and follow the example that kevin kevin durant durant sets I don't know if everybody's at that same level of agenda. Um, and, and, and that starts, you know, it, it starts with Kyrie. I mean, look, I'm not going to fault or, or, or criticize the guy for his decision, um, you know, not to get vaccinated. But he knew the consequences that that was going to, you know, the, the, the situation that was going to put his team in. And he put himself first. I understand that. A lot of players didn't want vaccines. A lot of them. I, I mean, if I could do a poll privately and and players wouldn't have to put their face or their names to it, you know, I mean, so many of these guys, you know, were skeptical and they felt like they're in the best condition of their lives. And, and, you know, they made so many sacrifices to get into the bubble. And now you were asking them to do something different. Now take the politics and everything else out of it. You know, a lot of players felt like, you know, 
would, would agree with what Kyrie was doing. They just didn't go to the extent that he was willing to go to. So that's a different, you know, uh, discussion altogether. However, saying that, he put his team in a bad spot because they never got to where they needed to get to in the regular season to potentially avoid having to go up against a number two seed in the playoffs in, in that situation. If they go in at 4-5, or five, then they, you know, and they're going up against the Raptors or, or the Sixers or something like that, they might have fared better. But having said all of that, they need to figure out, okay, where is Kyrie Irving and what is he going to do? Do they need him? Then they got to say, you know what, we made this big trade, got rid of Harden, who's still playing, going to the second round, play one of his best games of the playoffs to get uh, Philly advanced past Toronto for Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons has been nothing for us this season. And not only has he been nothing for us, he's standing out and, and bringing more attention to himself by not helping us this way. So was that a gamble that they're willing to take? Where is he mentally? Where is he physically? You know what I mean? He, he, he missed an entire year. You know, Zion gets, gets ripped for that, and, and Ben Simmons didn't even have a physical injury. He just sat out the entire year with back soreness, and they hadn't been able to figure that out. So that's a, that will hold Brooklyn back. Steve Nash, is already they've already said he's coming back uh, to coach again, but they've got to figure out how to activate these guys, and that's going to be a big-time question. Uh, because they don't have a lot of flexibility if they if they bring everybody back. They're sort of like the Lakers in that way, except obviously they performed a little bit better. But you still have just as many headaches to sort through if you're going through Brooklyn's uh, future prospects. Last thought, you mentioned the Lakers. What do the Lakers do moving forward? <sighs> Man, these are some tough questions because they all involve, and I said this throughout the theme of, of, of this segment here, taking that long, hard look in the mirror and figuring out who's accountable Who's going to be held accountable? The Lakers are stuck. Simple as that. If you make, if if you you can you can try to unload Russell Westbrook, but who's going to take Russell Westbrook? You know, and who else is in the league is going to take him at this point when he's been passed around from Houston to Washington to L.A. and it's, it's his production and his impact has only gotten worse. Um, Anthony Davis, they say, okay, well, you know, do you trade? You just unload Anthony Davis. Well, what team is going to say, hey, we're Anthony Davis away from taking our next step? Anthony Davis cannot be relied on as your number two guy. He certainly has, his, his days as being a number one are done. That was done, the, you know, the moment he left New Orleans. The question now is, can he even be reliable enough to be your number two option? And with him not being healthy and always having some kind of issue, is his conditioning where it needs to be? Is his mindset where it needs to be? As Charles Barkley said on TNT the other day, and I don't like to quote Barkley a lot because I think he's kind of outlandish and he, he says things to just throw stuff up against the wall but he's a player who would know you can't be hurt every year like injuries happen but it seems like every year Anthony Davis is hurt <laughs> and, and, and you have to change up some things that you're doing um, to make yourself available man and, and it's always these nagging injuries with him so the Lakers have to figure out do we need to blow this up and either, one, of, one of those two guys cannot be back next year and if they're if they're seriously trying to spin their way back into being uh, a, a contending team in the West, Anthony Davis or Russell Westbrook uh, have to be moved on if the Lakers have any possibilities uh, to improve what they're doing around LeBron James. And that's the other question: How much longer do you continue to build around LeBron James with him being at this stage of his career? Um, you may get one or two more years tops out of him uh, as a peak performer. But, you know, those are two more years of blessings that, you know, most guys at his age and his stage are already done with. So we'll see, man. They got a lot of questions to answer as well, too. Follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. Also check out his work at Grind City Media. He is the senior editor of Grind City Media. He is Mike Wallace. Joins us here 
on the program. Mike, as always, appreciate the time, man. We look forward to catching up with you and talking some more NBA. Hey, anytime, man. Thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to it, too, man. Round two is going to be strong and uh, a lot of intriguing matchups uh, moving into this round, and then it just it just keeps getting deeper and deeper from there, man. So looking forward to it all NBA postseason long. Got a roll. Thank you to Mike Wallace and Charlie Neal for joining us today here on the program. And always remember to support those that support Yo, Box Toro is produced by DW Communications. Turn your lights down low And pull your window curtain Oh, let your